It took a while for the technical side to unmute me. So don't worry, there's nothing wrong over here. It was just uh, several seconds where I could exercise my spirit in a rather unusual situation. The subject of this message is quite long uh, and is deliberately so because actually it's a summary of the entire message. I'll read it to you and then point out the crucial matters so we all have the kind of same uh, view and structure in our thinking and hearing. Our need to labor on the all-inclusive Christ, to have the produce to exhibit Christ in the church, and to have a surplus of Christ to bring to the church meetings for the corporate worship of God, our Father. The first two words, our need, our. And this little word, our, in this context, means the entire recovery. Every local church, no matter what part of the earth or what language, or situation, surely a few thousand local churches. And our includes all of us, everyone saved and baptized who is in the church life according to their own understanding and ours. This is a universal need and the fact that it is our need will eventually cause us to realize the need that God himself has is so deep it's really beyond our capacity to fully understand the Lord has revealed in the word what he needs us to know. But our need. I'm emphasizing again and again. We all need now at this very time. To be in this meeting. Not in an individualistic way. Not just seeking something personal. Although we should and we will. This is an hour meeting. And then there are three verbs in the title that are the very essence of the message. Labor, exhibit, worship. These three things in this order, labor, Exhibit worship. I think it's fair and accurate to say 
that all of us are working day by day, whether it's at home or in school or whatever it is. But I think we may not be so quick to say that we labor. We labor. Sometimes the judge will issue the penalty for a convicted criminal and they sentence you to seven years in prison of hard labor. So labor is a more intensified work, very focused, requiring much exercise and energy. And then to exhibit is to manifest something, to make it visible, to put it on display for all others to see and appreciate. And then worship, we all have a common understanding. We will get into that when we're in that portion of the message. And so the three sections of the outline match the three words. So in Roman numeral one, it's labor. Roman numeral two, exhibit. Roman numeral three, worship. And to help us understand what's in the Lord's heart and what he is speaking to us, we need to have in mind the picture from the Old Testament of the living of the children of Israel in the good land, the land of Canaan. And they all had their portion according to their tribe, everyone. So we're not going to pay any or hardly any attention to the enemy. He has been defeated. Our Joshua has won the victory. We are, right now, we are in Christ. I'm so glad that I'm just in the corner on the screen. I don't want to just be looking at my face for 70 minutes. I see the countenance of so many dear saints. I am looking at believers who are not in Egypt. And you are not in the wilderness. You are in the good land. You are in the all-inclusive Christ. That is a fact. And you have your measure, your portion, that no one, to dramatize a little, no one in the universe has your portion. And I, I bring this to the attention of the trainees and the full-time trainee. When they stand in line to speak on a Wednesday night, maybe 40, 45 will speak. I said, if someone speaks what you were going to say, don't be discouraged. Speak the same thing. Because when you do, you will minister the Christ that you have. And so the people of Israel, now they have mainly 
land to cultivate. Others are going to do mining for iron and copper and other things. So what will you do now to live? Don't get up early in the morning running around looking for manna. The manna, the manna days are over. And you are given a kind of foretaste of some leftovers from the land. Now, you need to labor for two main reasons. Of course, to support yourself and your family. But there's another reason, and that is a governmental decree made by God through Moses. When you're in the good land, God will choose a place where he will build his temple, be the center of his kingdom. And time and time again, every year, you must come to the feasts. You must. This is not an option. This is a requirement. You are living in the kingdom of God. You are building up the kingdom of God. And you, it is a requirement. You not appear before God empty. So they would labor. They would enjoy so much of what they produced that a certain portion was reserved for the feasts, for worshiping God. And they come together in oneness. As certain Psalms tell us, they're going up to the mountain. They're praising. Psalm 133 is one of them. And now here we are, worshiping God, offering the best, sharing this with one another. It's joy unspeakable and full of glory. So that is a picture of what I will now present as we go through the first section. And, I'm, and the word labor or laboring is used many times. And I will not give a definition on what it means to labor on Christ until we're at a certain place. As believers in Christ, who have been led by Christ into himself as the good land, typified by the land of Canaan, we need to labor on Christ. We need. This light tomorrow, you'll either be laboring at home as the mothers do nonstop, or you're going to your work or school. You need to do this. In order for us to exist, we have to work. We have to labor. But now we need to see the need to labor on Christ. And I would say this without exaggerating. Whether or not we labor on Christ will determine our spiritual future in this age and in the kingdom age. And it will determine what the Lord's recovery will be during our lifetime. That if we do not labor, 
and the dwelling place of God is not built and the bride is not ready, the Lord will raise up another generation that will labor. After the people of Israel entered into the promise, entered into and possessed the land of Canaan and received their allotted portion, they labored on the land. Whether or not they were willing to labor on the land was a serious matter. They had to labor on and cultivate the land. So this is a requirement. We are kingdom people. This is a meeting of the kingdom people, as well as the household of God. There's a throne here. There is divine authority here. The river of water of life to bring us grace and life and authority is flowing right now. And if we understand, we're not just, oh, I'm in a family meeting. I like this aspect of the church. I'm in the family. It's so enjoyable. But come on, just don't bring in the kingdom side. That's so weighty. Well, it's all one reality. And this is a requirement. But as we all know, the Lord himself directly And I believe you can testify the work, especially the ministry, has never demanded anything of you concerning laboring. And I will not. I will not. That is not my portion, not my standing. But we need to see intrinsically, inwardly, this is what God wants. God, not just the Lord. Not just the Father, not only the Spirit, God. This is a picture of how we need to labor diligently on Christ so that we may enjoy his all-inclusive riches. The life we live after entering into Christ as a good land is a life of laboring on Christ. So let's just be open. This is going to be fresh light. If we would define the Christian life to someone, you have a gospel friend, and you can have very beneficial conversations, and you can share things, and they're interested. And they ask, well, what is a Christian life? And I believe whatever you say would be accurate. It would be. A life of loving the Lord, enjoying the Lord, doing the will of God, seeking the kingdom. But would any one of us say, oh, the Christian life, it's a life of laboring on Christ. Now, isn't it the case? It would never come into our mind. That's just a fact. It's not a judgment. You know I'm not judging you. I love you. I don't judge you. But let's just understand where we are. And so now this needs to emerge in us to realize an aspect of our Christian life is to labor. 
on Christ. Uh, points, points one and two. As the Lord's people who are living in the all-inclusive Christ. Okay? You are living in the all-inclusive Christ. I emphasize this. Now it's a matter of laboring and experiencing on the one where we are. We need to labor on Christ, seeking Christ, and enjoying Christ in every situation. See? Every situation. I'll come back to this. But there was a reason I made that kind of lighthearted comment about being muted and unmuted. Because this is an instance of just a teeny weeny tiny thing that happens. It happened in a day, several seconds. But I feel a little bit awkward. They're all going to think there's something wrong. I, I can't, I can't speak what's going on. And I'm looking at the mic, the mic, the bar is there, the mic. But no. Even in this less than a minute situation, I can, in at least a little bit, I contacted Christ. There are no accidents. Even this is not an accident. But, but I would just take this as a, as a little indicator of a situation. We will see. What laboring on Christ is, it involves every situation. Okay, that's not an exaggeration. Every. Two, we are in a very rich land. But if we do not labor on it, there is no produce for us to experience and enjoy. C. Although we need to labor on Christ as the land to produce Christ, we need to realize that it is not we who produce Christ, but Christ who produces himself in us through our labor. And here I want to contrast the word labor that is more intensified work with a goal with passivity this is in many ways one of the greatest hindrances hindrances to our gaining christ and experiencing christ is passivity the other uh, negative factor is distraction distraction Things that we love or that we're interested in and the enemy knows our weaknesses and he brings this and that around to draw us out of the spirit and to distract us. But the fact is, much of the time we're not distracted. We're paying attention to what we need to do. But spiritually, we're passive. Hour upon hour. Day upon day, week upon week, I won't keep going, the passivity. And 
we were born with different dispositions. Some were like Peter, quick to act, very aggressive, full of energy. And there are some that are like this. And so seemingly they have an advantage of those that were born with passivity. They're slow. They're deliberate. They're thoughtful. If there was a fire there in part of the building, they may consider, yes, I'm, I'm pretty sure that is a fire. Uh, I'm wondering what we should do. What are the options in the fire? But if Peter is there, putting out the fire or leading everybody away. But when it comes down to it, it doesn't matter what kind of disposition we have. If you're born to be an aggressive, active person, the Lord will touch that because that is your natural strength, your natural energy. And if you are kind of slow, deliberate, introspective, thoughtful, passive person, the Lord will also gain ground and save you from that. Because there's a governing principle here. God never moves in our life when we are passive. But that is when the enemy moves the most. First John 5, 19, the whole world lies in the evil one. Like a, a patient on an operating table, anesthetized. So right now, on this Lord's Day, where you live in the West Coast, how many people are recovering from last night? How many are just altogether passive? We were created with a will. The spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. We can exercise our spirit. So we all need to be saved in life from our disposition, whether we're quick or slow, whether we are aggressive or passive. We all need to be saved in life. And so then on our part, we are laboring. Then the Lord says, I will produce myself in you. I am the land. I'm all the organic aspects of the land growing. You are laboring. And then I am producing myself in you. But if you don't labor, I can't produce. Two, the harvest of Christ is the Christ on whom we have labored and have reaped to be our harvest. Now we're getting to the practicality of this. Very, very practical. And I believe it will open the way for you to have a daily Christian life in another realm, in the midst of all that's going on outward. Every morning, we need to pray, asking the Lord for the day's portion of grace and consecrating ourselves to the Lord. For the purpose of experiencing and enjoying him by laboring on him. Now, when you had breakfast this morning, you wouldn't say that was laboring. No, you were just having breakfast. 
when we have morning revival, don't say, oh, I was laboring this morning. That is our spiritual breakfast, so to speak. The labor is something we do all day long, but it begins with being supplied by the Lord with grace. I learned this prayer from Brother Lee decades ago. It's been a prayer that's part of my being year after year. A new day, Lord. Please supply me with the grace, the measure of grace for today. You know I can't be, I can't do, I can't bear. You know this, I know this. I need your grace. Even I need to be filled with grace. I cannot live apart from you as grace. And then our life is measured, mainly one day at a time. Lord, I consecrate this day to you. I give this day to you. I give myself to you today. May it be a day of your growing in me, saving me, making your home in me. And then we go on with unending human responsibilities. And so E is the next step. When we get to F, we're at the peak. Throughout the day, we need to maintain our fellowship with the Lord and thereby contact him, labor on him, apply him, experience him, and enjoy him. Throughout the day, we need to maintain our fellowship with the Lord. Now, this merits maybe an entire conference, but at least a full message. But I can only spare a minute or so. Because we can ask sincerely, how do I maintain my fellowship with the Lord when I have to concentrate on what I'm doing? My mind, I have to focus. I'm responsible. And here I am, my, my little girl, five years old, wants to be with mommy to read from Curious George, gets his iPad. Okay, I'm modernizing him a little bit. And uh, mommy has read this book maybe uh, 19 times, but the little girl just wants to be with mommy. And so... Mommy would really like some adult conversation. She's a quite intelligent person, but she's with his, her little girl. And so sometimes, I know this because I tried it decades ago, you're reading and then you just flip a page to get this done quicker. And then she says, Mommy, you, you, you forgot that because she has come very close to memorizing the whole thing. And so while you are reading Curious George gets a new iPad or you are a mechanic concentrating on repairing someone's car engine or whatever it is, how can you maintain fellowship? Well, 
Fellowship is a function of our spirit. But here's the key. So I'm just sowing the seed now. Okay. What we need is our spirit and soul to be divided. Hebrews 4. So our soul can function outwardly. And at the same time, our spirit functions inwardly. So right now, while with my mind, my heart, my will, my emotion, my speaking, I'm giving this message. I have to use all my faculties. But inwardly, I'm contacting the Lord to receive his leading, his dispensing, his anointing. So this is what needs to happen to us. But the principle is set. Now we come to the definition. Exercising our spirit is the key to laboring on Christ and producing Christ. The way to labor on Christ is to exercise our spirit to contact the Lord, the reality of the all-inclusive Christ as the good land. Throughout the day, in every situation, and in all our circumstances, we should exercise our spirit to contact the Lord and experience him. Now, let me get into this. First, we are establishing what the laboring is. It is exercising our spirit. Our spirit is subject to us. We can exercise our spirit anytime we choose. Anytime. We can. But I think it's fair to say and I'm, I'm part of this. There are many, many times when I'm just not in, I'm not in the mood. I don't have the feeling. Some kind of thought or some kind of feeling is kind of the dominant thing. And, and I would compare this with the help I receive to be faithful to have physical exercise for my health. Especially, you know, walking, walking. And there are other things. And I would say 90% of the time, when either I realize I, I need to get up from my seat, I sit at a desk so much, I need to move around, I need to exercise. Or the helper says, Come on, we need to take a break and walk for 15 minutes. Most of the time, I don't feel like it. I just don't feel like it. And so I'm going to do what I, what I feel. And so I don't exercise. And so now I realize, wait a minute. I can choose between my mood, my feeling, and the opportunity to contact Christ by exercising my spirit. And then when I do this, we may not know what's happening right away. The Lord knows right now 
I'm going to give this aspect of me to you. You need this. I know you need this. But now you are exercising. I can dispense this into you. I can work this into you. And I'm going to keep doing this for several days. Because I know what's coming. And I know what you need. And I understand your disposition. But you are doing your part. You are exercising. Now I am producing. And then here, point two, I read again throughout the day in every situation and in all our circumstances. So let me begin with something very simple. I've told this many times, but this is a fresh audience and you may not have heard it. If you have, you, you, you will bear it. You, you will get through. I think you might even enjoy it. Uh, the house that I live in, that my, my wife and I, we rent, is about a four-minute drive from the Living Stream Ministry campus. So we come out of our street, go north on Magnolia, and then turn left on La Palma. Then when I come home for lunch or for dinner, then I turn right on La Palma. I'm going west to Magnolia. And I'm very familiar with the intersection, how the timing goes. And there's the left turn lane and with an arrow. So you don't go when there's opening in the traffic. You go by the arrow. And so I'm driving along at the proper speed. And maybe I am uh, 50 yards away from the intersection and the arrow is green. But I'm concerned if I keep going at this speed, it will turn red just when I get there. And so this is an opportunity while I'm driving. The Christ who is in me, he does not want me to speed to make a left turn on the green arrow. And so I get there. Okay, now the same situation, but different. This time, I can see from a distance. Uh, the, the light is red. The traffic is going on the other street. The arrow is red. So I will arrive. But there are two lanes. I need to be in the right lane. But both lanes are long. But I have this hope. I'm car number nine. If these other drivers have good reflexes, I will be able to get through just when the green arrow is turning yellow. So I'm not running a red arrow. And then again and again, and God does this on purpose again and again. There's someone slow. Why, why are they not moving? What, why are you sitting here? Haven't you seen the green light? Then they start to go. And car one through seven makes it. Car eight goes through as it's turning yellow. Car nine, mine. Red arrow. Ah, oh, I don't like this. Okay, now I know it will be two and a half minutes 
this is what I'm learning. To contact Christ in those two and a half minutes. Instead of having a feeling about it and staying in the feeling. This is an instance. And I am, I'm, I'm fully sure that my father, who's an expert trainer and discipline, is indicating to me, Ron, this is going to happen to you again and again and again. And until you learn to contact me in this situation and in every situation. And so may the Lord cover you when you hear this, because you may have some subjective or introspective feeling about yourself. I've been in the Lord's recovery for 55 years. I'm not exaggerating to say I have lost thousands of opportunities to contact Christ in my daily living. This is a little sidebar to the enemy. We bind you in the name of the Lord Jesus. We are going to labor on Christ right now. Okay. You can hear me? All right. And so you land in Singapore and all the lines are so long at the passport control. And I'm not happy. But I, then I get a gentle reminder. Of, didn't you give a message about contacting the Lord in all situations? It's a gentle reminder. And so for those few minutes, I didn't waste another opportunity. And so this is what it is to labor on Christ. It's so practical and actual. And this, like virtually all of you, I know what it is to be in heartbreaking situations. I know what it is to be lying on the surgeon's table at midnight, getting emergency surgery to save my life. And to be in the hospital for many days afterward and then get pancreatitis and not be able to eat or drink for many days. But I've been learning because of the grace of the Lord and his prayer and his intercession. He is enabling us while we are conscious to contact him inwardly in any situation. That is laboring. Gee, we labor on Christ as the good land by exercising our heart to have faith in the Lord and to love the Lord and by exercising our spirit to contact the Lord to re and to receive the dispensing of the all-inclusive, life-giving spirit, the reality of Christ as the good land. And here, in this point, we read exercising our heart. And actually, especially at the beginning of a day, we need to exercise our heart first before we are really able to exercise our spirit. Okay, why? Why, Brother Ron, are you saying this? Well, 
An obvious fact is our spirit is the inner man of our heart. It's surrounded by our heart. And if the heart is turned away from the Lord, distracted or just not fully awake or whatever it is, there's no way for the spirit to flow out. So I learned this again. I didn't come across this on my own. I learned this mainly from the ministry to begin each day by turning my heart to the Lord. Lord, I turn my heart to you. In this basic prayer, Lord, I turn my heart to you in faith and love. And I realize that some dear saints, they're very thoughtful. And even while they're praying, Lord, I turn my heart to you. They're a little worried. They're wondering, am I really turning my heart to the Lord? Or am I just saying something I heard the brother say? So I, I recommend a backup prayer. And that is, Lord, cause my heart to turn toward you. And then you exercise your heart to believe and to love, right? It's going to be a, a faith and love developing day. You are exercising your heart. Then we can exercise our spirit. Okay, now we go on. Roman 2. If we faithfully labor on the all-inclusive Christ, we will have the riches of Christ as the produce to exhibit Christ in the church. Now, I think that for many of us, if not virtually all of us, this next section may be somewhat sensitive. And so I'm just looking to the Lord on the, the way, according to him, to share this. We are now talking about the meetings of the church. Every kind of meeting. A group in your home. A district. The whole church. Churches together. We are going to return to the normal church life. And uh, this is just my own feeling. Be prepared to drop the Zoom preference. The first definition of a church is assembly. Ecclesia, the called out ones who meet. How can I participate in a Lord's table meeting when there's no table, no bread, no cup? The point is, we are members of the body. We're in the Lord's recovery. We're in the local churches. And let's just, let me just ask you, this is the sensitive part now. Just reflect upon the last several years. On the Lord's Day morning for the Lord's table meeting. What do you do mainly? You sing. And you sing a hymn, then what do you do? You pray over some of the words from the hymn. And then now it's time to worship the Father. And what do we do? 
We sing a hymn, mention a few words, then many, many times an elder stands up and says, the meeting's over, we'll, we'll do this. What would happen on any given Lord's Day morning if we, we didn't sing? And all of our prayers and praise were an offering of the Christ we have experienced recently. You know what there would be? Almost total silence. Total silence. Because now, to some extent, the meeting has become formal, predictable, traditional. And uh, it's a very rare thing. I've been in meetings when someone is on the remembering of the Lord's section and just praises the Lord and thanks the Lord that something is flowing out of her or out of him just spontaneously concerning the Christ that one has produced. And then no one else knows what to do. How do we follow that? What do we say? This is serious. This is coming to the feast empty. Empty-handed. Now, listen carefully, please. And exercise your discernment acutely. We need always, by the Lord's shining and covering love, know where we are personally and corporately. Once that light is shining and we receive it, then the life, the love, the grace, the all-inclusive spirit operates. We don't defend, we don't hide, we don't pity ourselves. And so, in 1983, Brother Lee gave a message on the meetings of the church according to the God, the way that's revealed in the word, portrayed by the Old Testament. And he said, for 30 years, I have been fighting for the kind of meetings that God wants. But we still have not arrived. And now, from 1983 to 2021, is 38 years. Now it's been 68 years years and with an exception for a brief period of time in Eldon Hall in the middle and later 1960s we had kind of an elementary school experience of this and so we need to understand I won't take the time to read through the whole hymn that we sang let us exhibit Christ Will bring the surplus to the church and thus exhibit Christ. Do our meetings, are they meetings of exhibiting Christ? We know. Right now we sense we know. But this is what's really on my heart. I can look at you and my eyes are full of hope. I want to transmit into you 
I believe the Lord is going to recover the meetings of the recovery all over the earth. And we will learn to labor on Christ. He will shepherd us. He's the teacher. He's the trainer. And we will have more of Christ. And then one indication of the change, say in the district where my wife and I meet, one sign that the Lord is gaining ground is that when the meeting starts at 9.30, everyone is there. We don't have 30% of the saints trooping in over the next 15 or 20 minutes without any feeling. This is the most important meeting of the church life ordained by the Lord. And I fully believe every line, every stanza in hymn 864 is going to become real to us. This is why the Lord is speaking this. But to develop this a little bit further. And that is way back in around 1983. I was in a meeting on a Thursday morning that Brother Lee had with a few dozen serving ones. In the book, in the book service at LSM. And it was a time for questions and response. And I just had the leading and the peace to say, Brother Lee, why do I feel when I'm sitting in a meeting on the Lord's Day morning in a church in Anaheim, why do I feel I'm back in the Presbyterian denomination on a Sunday? Why do I feel this way? I took a risk to open up. Then he shared. And after a certain point, he said, Brother Ron is correct. And we know what followed. I'm not saying this stimulated him. His burden on the God-ordained way. Message after message. And so I don't expect a radical change in a week, in a month. But I believe, saints like you, I can sense your openness, your receptivity, your inner response. I can sense this. We are going to meet our need together. We're going to learn together. We're going to support one another. We're going to encourage one another. We're going to uphold one another. We're going to cover and protect one another. Because we, we are being enlightened. and We are in this together. And I, I sincerely believe this for my own life personally. I believe it for the Lord's recovery. The best is ahead. The best was not in Eldon Hall in the 1960s. The best is ahead. I love that word from Paul where he said, forgetting the things that are behind, stretching forward to what's ahead. And I believe what's ahead of us, not, not just in the millennium, I believe starting soon, little by little, the Lord is going to lead the brothers. The Lord is going to burden the sisters. 
with their prayer ministry. And we're going to learn in our daily living to contact the Lord. And then we come to the meetings. There would be, I wouldn't say an eruption, but a release. And that release is going to encourage all of us. Then we exercise more, exhibit more, exhibit more, exercise more. Now I can read this section of the outline. And I know the brothers have given me the time, but still I want to stay within the limitation because we need the response from you. And so within 15 minutes, I'll be done and the burden will be released. Okay, A, the proper life of Christians is to labor on Christ every day and thus have the rich surplus of Christ to bring to the meetings for such, for a rich exhibition of Christ. We come together in the church meetings to have an exhibition of Christ. That's the purpose. We're manifesting Christ through our daily experiences of the riches of Christ. These riches will become an exhibition of the produce of Christ. Let us exhibit Christ. Can this be our corporate prayer? Let us, let us. Can we all learn together, experience together, advance together? Our meetings should always be an exhibition. Always be an exhibition to show forth what Christ is, what Christ has, and what Christ does. We meet to exhibit not only the Christ given to us by God, but also the Christ we have produced, the Christ on whom we have labored and whom we have experienced. This is the Christ whom we come together to exhibit. If we continually labor on Christ, we will have the rich surplus of Christ to bring to the meetings for a rich exhibition of Christ. Whenever we come together, regardless of the kind of meeting we are having, we should come with the Christ experienced by us as the surplus to be offered to God and exhibited to the whole universe and to the enemy, putting him to shame. And I found in the ministry where Brotherly spoke very strongly, he said, at times, the enemy is just laughing about our meetings, mocking, speaking to God. Look what that kind of meeting. We want his mouth to be shut. First, we want Christ to be manifested and God to be glorified and the enemy will be shut. He will be put to shame because the meetings are observed by a multitude of beings in the heavenlies. There's another realm that's observing what's happening here. And so we, we're not going to focus on putting the enemy to shame, but that's a byproduct of our exhibiting Christ. Whenever we come together, regardless, I'm repeating, regardless of the kind of meeting we are having, we should come with Christ, the Christ experienced by us, as the surplus to be offered to God 
and exhibited to the whole universe and to the enemy, putting him to shame. Universe realized we are going on. We're going to labor on Christ. We're going to exhibit Christ. We're going to build up the body of Christ. The bride is going to make herself ready. And the Lord is coming back. And the kingdom will be manifested. This meeting is for that. We know you're watching. This may sound strange to you, but it's not. You may sound watching. But the almighty God with his hand is going to follow this word. Because you've got hundreds of saints open to him right now. Loving the Lord. Open to him. Then our meetings will be enriched and strengthened because they are full of Christ. Such a church life is an exhibition of Christ. An expression of Christ. We need to bring the surplus of Christ to every meeting to exhibit Christ. The serving ones. To the young people's meeting. To the prayer meetings. To the home meetings. To the district meetings. To the gospel meetings. To the conference meetings. To the training meetings. We all come with Christ. We need to enjoy Christ in our daily life and come together to exhibit him. To have proper Christian meetings, we need to contact the Lord daily in our personal life. Contact the Lord daily in our personal life. Please don't Offer what I would call a pseudo or unreal consecration to say, Lord, from now on, I promise I will contact you every day in every situation. We're not able to do that. The Lord knows. But we can say, Lord, I want to learn. I want to be trained. I want to be developed to contact you throughout my personal daily life. And I give myself to you for this, that you will work in me and make this possible. I need a special measure of grace to do this. But on my part, I consecrate to this. But I'm not promising because I know I can't fulfill promises I made sincerely, but I can't. But you can. Do this for your glory. Do this for your body. And do this for the kingdom. And he will. Then we come to the meetings with the realization and understanding that we are coming to exhibit Christ and share Christ with others. We'll have a different feeling. We'll realize the Lord's Day meeting is tomorrow. The Lord's table meeting. I'd like to prepare before I fall asleep tonight. I'd like everything to be cleared up. Because why am I going to the meeting? I'm going to remember the Lord. I'm going to be part of a corporate expression of Christ. I'm coming to glorify you. And I'm coming to worship God my Father. And then I won't read the next part. Because that's that's a stanza. From the, or the chorus. The stanza one in the chorus. 
Now we need to labor on the all-inclusive Christ in order to have a surplus of Christ to bring to the church meetings for the corporate worship of God, our Father. And I want to read to you very familiar verses. But I have reason to say that when we think about these verses, we miss the main point. John 4, 23 and 24. But an hour is coming, and it is now, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truthfulness. For the Father seeks, but the Father also seeks such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truthfulness. True worshipers. When we think about these verses, we may think of the way of worshiping. It's not wrong. But it's not the main point. We think it's about worshiping the Father in spirit and truthfulness. But only a certain kind of person worships in this way. The true worshipers. What is a true worshiper? They are such to worship him. And they worship him in spirit and truthfulness. Now, years ago, when the translation was spirit and reality, I really liked that. I love that word reality in the Bible. And then the new translation comes out and says truthfulness. I was kind of, I don't know, I just was a little disappointed. But now I'm full of joy and appreciation. Truthfulness is the genuineness, the sincerity of a believer who has been constituted with the right, with the reality of the triune God that makes them a true worshiper. You are a believer experiencing the divine dispensing day by day. You're praying in a certain way the prayer of Ephesians 3 Father, strengthen me with power through your spirit into my inner man so that Christ may make his home in my heart through faith. Fill me, Lord, unto the fullness of God. And then that in Christ, that constitution makes us a worshiper, a true worshiper. And as a true worshiper, we realize something that's in the Father's heart. That has been in his heart for centuries. Where is the real worship? Today and what the religious sector would call Sunday, the Catholic Church have masses 
the denominations have different kinds of meetings focused on the sermons, all kinds of things. Where is the where are the true worshipers? And then here, I have to be faithful to the Lord and to you, just to ask you. And you know I'm asking you tenderly. Do you worship? Do you worship? Do you worship God? Can you remember a time when you not just say I'm praising the Lord? I'm worshiping God the Father. That this is the longing in the Father's heart. In the earlier days, these, they were not the standard, but it was a foretaste. We had the Lord's table meeting in the evening. As Brother Lee once pointed out, it's the Lord's supper. It's not the Lord's breakfast. It's the Lord's supper. And the saints would come way, way early, in a living, vital way, spending 40 minutes praising the Lord, remembering him, and then worshiping the Father for 20, 25 minutes. Then we would have family fellowship. Then we would go to work on Monday morning, and we were very different from our colleagues. Monday morning was their sad time of the week. They were the Friday people. We're just looking forward to Friday. But we went, many of us, to our jobs in the overflow of that meeting. We were just full of joy. But that was a foretaste. That's not the standard. Not living in memories. Like elderly people, they live in the memories. The young live in their imagination. No. We're pressing on to the future. But we need to worship God. And in the book of Revelation, this will be the battle during the Great Tribulation. Because the temple will be rebuilt for the worship of God to be the house of prayer. And the Antichrist, when he is restored to life, he will place himself in the temple and demand to be worshipped. And everyone on the earth must have the mark on their forehead or on their hand. And anyone who does not worship will be killed. But at the same time, we know from Revelation 14, an angel will be declaring another gospel. You must recognize God as creator and worship him. Then you read Revelation 15. It shows the late overcomer standing on the sea of glass. They were victorious. But their lives were not spared. They worshipped God at a cost. And little by little, again, this requires a conference. This requires a message. We're heading toward a critical time. And the battle will be for worship. And remember what happened when the Lord was tempted by the devil recorded in Matthew 4. And the third temptation was the enemy showed him all the kingdoms of the earth, 
all the glory of them. It's all yours. I'll give it all to you. If you will fall down and worship me. And the Lord was so strong. It is written. He shall worship. He said, get away, Satan. Leave. It is written. You will worship the Lord your God and him only. But the Antichrist will worship the dragon. He will worship the enemy. And this will be the battle. And we're heading toward it. Brother Nee has a marvelous message on worship. And we are worshiping God as God. An offering to him. What will turn out to be the richest produce of Christ. We may not even know it's there. And allow me to say this. When I wrote that hymn in 1973. On Jesus, Lord, I'm captured by your beauty. The one stanza that said. I break my alabaster flask. And I poured out really what is unknown to me. There's something of you unknown to me because you did not produce this in me for me, for the ministry, for the work, for the churches, but for you. And we just pour it out. And I believe the Father has the longing for such worshipers to worship him in spirit and in truthfulness. But again, we can't promise to say, Lord, from now on, every Lord's Day meeting, we're going to do this. No, like I tell the trainees sometime, you're going to be the same until you're different. The Lord, the Lord is going to uplift our Lord's Day meetings. He is. And the Lord's Table meetings, I believe, will be the highest we've ever known. The worse the enemy gets, the more devil worship there is in various forms on the earth, we will go in the opposite direction and we will become true worshipers. So now I read this section and then uh, I'll just stop. There is much more in me to flow, but I'm not frustrated. This is not the time. I look to the Lord for another opportunity. We need to pour out this burden to the whole recovery. That there'll be a recovery of the recovery. I say it again and again. I'm full of hope. I'm not discouraged. I'm not disappointed. I don't criticize. I don't judge. I just speak what is true. And then we all look away. This is our need. Labor. Exhibit. Worship. Now I just read this, brothers, and then my part is is done. We need to labor on the all-inclusive Christ in order to have a surplus of Christ to bring to the church meetings for the corporate worship of God our Father. The experience of the children of Israel is a picture of a proper Christian meeting. God commanded them to not be empty-handed when they came together to worship him. They had to come with their hands full of the produce of their labor. When they came to worship in the place designated by God, they worshiped God by offering to him the top surplus of their labor on the land. 
for our worship of him, the Father requires that we come to him with a harvest of Christ. Thus, we need to come to the church meetings with the riches of Christ. Daily, we should labor on Christ to have a harvest of Christ's riches to bring to the church meetings for the corporate worship of God the Father. A life in the all-inclusive Christ as a good land is a life of laboring on Christ, producing Christ, enjoying Christ, sharing Christ with others, and offering Christ to God the Father, that he may enjoy Christ with us. This kind of enjoyment and sharing is an exhibiting of Christ to the entire universe. This is a worship to God the Father and a shame to the enemy. It is crucial that we diligently labor on Christ to have our hands full of Christ and then come to the church meetings to enjoy this rich and glorious Christ with God's children and with God the Father himself. Whenever we come to the Lord's table meeting to remember the Lord and worship the Father, we must come with the riches of Christ produced by our daily laboring on Christ. To worship God with Christ is to worship him collectively with all the children of God by enjoying Christ with one another and with God. We need to produce enough of Christ so that there will be a surplus to share with others and to offer the best part of the produce to God the Father for his joy, delight, and satisfaction. Amen. Hey, brothers, you know how to handle the rest of the time. But thank the Lord. The burden has been discharged. And you have received. I thank the Lord. And I thank you, my beloved brothers and sisters.